Welcome to episode 69 of the Becoming Human podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Tanner Wisegroom. Tanner Wisegroom is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt out of North Idaho Jiu-Jitsu in Sandpoint, Idaho. Tanner is a family man at heart and has an incredible work ethic. But looking to do something to fulfill himself on his own time, he sought activities to connect with people. And that brought him to jiu-jitsu. In this episode, we talk on a variety of things, from how jiu-jitsu affected his personal life, what it means to him to pursue excellence, to compete, and how he balances it all with his family. Tanner was an awesome guy to talk to, and he's got a lot of heart. I know you guys will enjoy this episode. And if you do, please rate, review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you happen to listen to it, and share it with a friend. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can head over to the website and pick up a flat bill. Without any further ado, here's Tanner. How'd you get into jujitsu? Um, well, living where I do, kind of going into working full time, <laughs> 60, 70 <laughs> hours a week, and having Whoa. a family, you uh, roll up into being in your mid 20s and you think, you know, I need to do something for myself. So I basically, uh, for the most part, had the desire for some of that grappling aspect. Did about three weeks of wrestling in high school, but it just kind of wasn't the right program or right school or whatnot, and uh, didn't do much more than that. So turned, I was 25 years old, had my second kid, and uh, strolled into the jiu-jitsu uh, gym and said, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how did you uh, learn about jiu-jitsu? Uh, just jujitsu in general, like the yeah. theory of it. Um, I think, you know, I can't even honestly say I really recall knowing what particularly jujitsu was, other than mm-hmm. just kind of grappling and submission grappling. Um, most people have been involved in watching MMA and UFC, and there was some gyms about an hour south. Uh, down in Coeur d'Alene and so I always wanted to meander down there and try it but with life and everything it just didn't get on the docket so I learned from stepping in the gym mm-hmm. and, uh, that's kind of exactly what I did too I, I heard about it uh, I think what like Rogan and then uh, a couple of my friends um, but there was there just wasn't like a big cultural thing uh, when I lived in Sandpoint anyway um, but oh, yeah. Hmm? yeah, uh, well, so with the kids that I grew up with, like it, not even, uh, uh, the school, I went to the alternative school. Um, so they didn't really have many sports outlets and I wasn't even aware of wrestling or anything like that. And I moved over here and I mean, everyone wrestles, <laughs> right? but yeah. Um, to, and it's, I can really relate to you on that point because uh, I, I went with the whole family thing. That was like my biggest priority growing up. And um, after establishing that, I had like, I don't know, just some, I wasn't as fulfilled in, in certain aspects. And oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I feel like, like uh, for me, it's just, you know, getting up, going to work and stuff like that. I always wondered if there's something more. But it's strange how when, when you have something that you're interested in, it starts to help develop meaning around your life and accentuate the uh, family meaning as well. Yeah, it does completely. You know, when you, you know, you go through life and you learn these little skills and habits and these values and having a family and supporting them was kind of like number one, <laughs> you know, you <laughs> raise with some values and that's kind of like, that's, that's the honing of it. So by the time you step through that door and you find a good, you know, spouse, get married and you decide to have some kids and then you're like, yeah, this is great. And which it is, it fills a certain point of it, but you kind of come full circle being kind of a servant to your family and supporting that you really do need an outlet for yourself. And so fortunately enough, um, at that time in my life, I was able to find jujitsu and for the most part, it was kind of funny because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do one day a week of jiu-jitsu, and then I'm going to do, like, one day of, like, the movie type program. And first year, or not first year, first month, you know, I actually really <laughs> liked the cardio aspect of the kickboxing over the jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. And you kind of go through that classic spot where you got the 150-pound guy that – you know, it's like, come into my guard, you know, and you just, it doesn't make sense. I spent about three months just trying to figure out how the hell to posture out a guard with a little 150-pound guy and uh, getting there and throwing punches and kicks at a pad was a good workout. So that's kind of where my little journey into martial arts started. Uh, do you solely focus on grappling now, or do you uh, do you focus on mixed martial arts as a whole? I, I focus on grappling 100%. Um, um, for where we are in our location, I, I dabbled into the MMA and the striking and all of that, and I do love it. But you know, there's there's a point in time where you kind of look at what is the most prevalent use of your time with juggling family and work and and then going and being selfish and doing jiu-jitsu for yourself. They're just, uh, time is a little bit too limited for that. <laughs> I I could understand that because I was at a crossroads myself with, for now, or I mean not for now, but now I'm a single dad and uh, I was doing uh, full MMA and I had to decide uh, exactly what I wanted to do. If I wanted to go with MMA but, or grappling, and grappling was the biggest thing for me because, you know, for uh, supporting my son, I didn't want to get CTE. Uh, right. but, and, and, yeah, I didn't want brain injury, and I was like, well, that's a really high risk, but if I break something, I could still take care of him. <laughs> um, right. And, and it's cool because uh, – like with jujitsu, I'm not sure if uh, your your kids train or not, but it's a really good way for me to bond with my son. Yeah, that's great. Um, my kids at the moment they train for about three and a half years, and from the time my oldest was like seven and my youngest was four, I was just like, man, one day a week is all I ask. You know, I don't need you to be some prodigy. I just want you to touch it. You know. And they did it for about three and a half years, one day a week, 
and it kind of blew my mind. Like, I wouldn't even be there. I'm watching grapple, and it's like, how the hell did they learn this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) It's like little professionals out there. So learning how to teach kids gives you a different appreciation for how well they adapt and learn. So I expect a lot from them now. Yeah, they set the precedent, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, in, in that experience of uh, trying to teach your children or other children jujitsu, has it helped you uh, as a father in just everyday life? Uh, you know, myself in particularly, I'm not a giant fan of at this stage or previously in this stage of my jujitsu career um, of being like the full blown teacher, teacher. Mm. Um, you know, I ran a, a jiu-jitsu school for about four years from the time I was kind of a high-level blue belt till um, not quite brown belt. So for about four years, I kind of supported the school and taught and kind of devoted my life to that. But, you know, that's kind of a, a different topic of, you know, still being a student and trying to acquire the knowledge that you need to progress while also sharing all the knowledge you have. Being a, a teacher to the kids just was not quite into my uh, my time frame goals at that point. Mm-hmm. I, uh, after working so much and doing a lot of sacrifices, I really find Jiu-Jitsu to be my selfish time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did your relationship with jiu-jitsu change over time from when you started and uh, to now? Man, that is a fun topic. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you start out, you you know, just walking through the gym, you know, you you get over that first three months of jiu-jitsu that realistically is not fun, but Mm. it's amazing. You know, if you can make it through the first three months of jiu-jitsu – kind of getting that ego put in check and just getting aware of the positions, you know, having guys that are much smaller than you just use technique to break you down and control and move around you is absolutely amazing. Once you get over that and you start moving through it, it's great. So my starting point with jiu-jitsu was really just a complete way to try to find myself uh, mm-hmm. with, you know, just doing something selfishly for me, for my body, for my health, for my mental, you know, release. And then you get going at it and you start to dabble into one to challenge yourself a little bit more and compete. Uh, where we are in Sandpoint, Idaho, you know, there really is not much area, city, <laughs> you <know>, communities <laughs> where you can go compete. So, you kind of have to travel a bit to get after it. And even at that time, Spokane didn't have a large competition area. So to do anything, you were basically committing a drive about six to eight hours. And uh, that's probably about the time when I was at the blue belt level that I dabbled in the MMA. And dabbling in the MMA was kind of a juggle of, I want to be able to show my art and put my art to the test, but I'm also being a cheap bastard. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. doing, doing jiu-jitsu is quite expensive, and being able to compete at MMA was logically 
easier on the financial burden to be able to do that. So mm-hmm. um, I kind of started doing jiu-jitsu or started competing, training, striking quite a bit, boxing, Muay Thai, wrestling at the blue belt level and started to dabble into the, the MMA scene a little bit there because I wanted an outlet to compete to show my skills that was also somewhat financially affordable to do. So I had uh, six fights, six MMA fights but through my blue belt career jiu-jitsu. And, you know, I was, shoot, I think 28, 29 at the time, so it wasn't like I was going after a career. It was more or less just, again, that passion and that relationship between doing and training a martial art for yourself to then being decent at it and wanting to have an outlet to show that. So that was kind of the blue belt career of learning jiu-jitsu and MMA. And so uh, that's what I did there. Once I got into, uh, got through kind of my six fights, I, I think I went five and one in MMA. And, uh, you know, I had a great time with it, but at that point in time, my work career was kind of changing a little bit as well. And with my work career um, and the gym life and jiu-jitsu, my coach was kind of trying to strive to be a, a competitor at jiu-jitsu. And so he kind of was moving away, which left the jiu-jitsu gym in a little bit of a an odd, odd place. I was just like a three-stripe blue belt in Sandpoint. And the purple belt coach moves away and I felt fairly responsible to kind of take over uh, making sure jiu-jitsu was available for the little community that was there and were, were you unsure of when you're when when that was occurring like uh did you have doubts going forward or were you excited at that opportunity uh no I was excited I mean, for for me, you know, and even very much through that, it was just you love that passion to train, to step on the mat. I kind of used the analogy. I don't know if you recall, like, the movie Alexander the Great probably came out, mm-hmm. like, six six years ago or something like that. When I was a blue belt, I really related to that because by the time I went from, like, Friday night training to Saturday not training, Sunday not training to Monday getting to train again. It was like I was happy. I got a little bit more agitated. By the time Sunday evening rolled around, my wife's like, man, you need to go train. And so utilizing the movie, I never really realized it. But, you know, these guys go off and pillage, go to war for three, four, five, seven years. They come back to their home village for two, three weeks, they party, they, you know, Mm -hmm. have sex with all their their wives and get drunk. And then by the time two or three weeks goes around, they're already ready to go off to war again. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of related that there was something about that competition that was just deep-seated in me. (laughs) And I uh, needed to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, going into... Uh, kind of the struggle, I guess, of 
wanting to have jujitsu at my hometown and trying to do it in a way that was cost effective with having my coach have a desire to go and move away and chase bigger and better things, which was great. Um, I kind of had that choice of, you know, being selfish and training in MMA and trying to do that along with my work career and also my jiu-jitsu career that I kind of aligned the three things where got into more of a management position at work and However, I'm not saying they looked at doing MMA frowning on it or not, but I kind of mm-hmm. had to make the decision of respect that being in a position of management at my work, jiu-jitsu was more sustainable for my position at work. And taking mm-hmm. over the jiu-jitsu gym to be able to give back to the community that I had, I kind of sacrificed more the MMA career to just train jiu-jitsu and teach jiu-jitsu and so on. So I had pretty much spent about six days a week on the mat. Uh, I taught uh, four days and had an, another instructor that taught two. And I spent about four years just every waking moment that I could be breathing and thinking I was consumed with jiu-jitsu looking back at that time span right at the end of those four years what were some common mistakes that you uh, saw when you were first learning how to teach um some mistakes i would think that it's just it's kind of like just doing jiu-jitsu in general you first Mm -hmm. have to learn it and then uh, be able to apply it and then come full circle to understand it. Um, There's a lot of people that are very athletic about performing stuff, but not necessarily connecting that mind-to-muscle or mind-to-body movement. Mm -hmm. And trying to teach that, um, my kind of background with work and I even just go into like my natural talents as a human, um, I kind of felt like propelled me to where the whole time that I was living life prepared me to be a better jiu-jitsu practitioner mm. because I have a good memory. <laughs> um, <laughs> all of my work careers was derived around um, having patience and adapting to situations that really sucked. So um, that kind of sounds like jiu-jitsu. So very patient, good memory, and being very adaptive to things that didn't map out. So um, getting into teaching jiu-jitsu, the only real secret that there was, uh, was is creating a good schedule. Um now that I can better focus on that question, it came to me. Uh, <laughs> when, you, when you're teaching, you kind of have to teach at the level that is available to be learned. And people don't necessarily show up six days a week, let alone twice a week. And so what I realized was I had to create a condensed structure of techniques and so I kind of took it the whole year and broke it down into um, 
three, um, whatever is, uh, four month periods. And I mm-hmm. taught the same curriculum over that time because one of the biggest complaints that you hear on anybody, whether it's YouTube or people teaching or anything funky is, oh, you have a guy that's a blue belt, and they're like, I've never even seen that move before. And it's like, oh, that's because people just have life that happens, and they don't stay consistent. They don't show up to every class. So you can't jump all over the board. It's really about the amount of times that a person can see something, and that they also have to show up. So the most important thing for me at that stage, after a couple years of teaching, was to create a very systematic approach to having where everybody, if you show up, you know, the, every class, you're going to see the same stuff over and over again without fail to where you get to very much build that muscle memory and the repetitive motions. Um, you know, when we're younger belts, you want to see all the cool, funky, flying stuff, but <laughs> the bottom line is, the fundamentals and finding your game is the biggest key to success, and you get to see it over and over again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the one mistake that I think would be making is trying to teach the stuff that you want to see. <laughs> teach, teach, teach the stuff that you know and you can do and you can teach effectively. I had a, a brown belt tell me at one point in time that stuck with me is like, man, whatever level you're at, teach at the level that you're capable of teaching and there's nothing that can go wrong from there. But don't claim to try to teach black belt level crap if you're a blue belt or a purple belt. Just be you and teach the stuff that you have at the level you're at and nobody will fault you for it. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a good kind of morale confidence booster to just continue at the path that I was on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a key factor too, from what I've noticed in training, like uh, is it, not necessarily uh, how many things or what you know, how well you know it. And yeah, it's like, it, there's a lot of, you know, there's universal principles that you could pull out from like a single sweep that could apply to pretty much most sweeps. Right. Or at least uh, you have the, the stencil there and then it's a lot easier to absorb. What's been effective for you for integrating technique like outside of classes? Do, would you uh, do drills just for yourself or do you do any like um, note taking? You know, because of my my own personal capabilities, my note taking was actually writing the curriculum. Mm. So. um I didn't, I never really did take notes just because of um, having a good memory. So mm-hmm. that that kind of made me lazy in one essence of doing the note taking. <laughs> it made me have a good memory. But, man, I spent hours, you know, if I worked you know, eight to ten hour a day, I probably was thinking about jujitsu for four to six hours of that, building the curriculum in my head and then writing it out on paper to be able to then effectively try to create a smooth course. So my my forms of note-taking would probably be an advice to take your notes as if you were writing a curriculum to teach to somebody else. 
would be my effective note taking. Um, has uh, has jujitsu uh, when you were teaching that jujitsu? Did you notice um, that you were learning things a lot quick quicker? Oh yeah, for your own yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. What it really did was transition the knowledge to like, oh yeah, I know that move. To like, I understand that move front to back, left to right, from the inside out. You know, you name it. Um, I still find one of the most pleasurable things for me to even learn deeper is to to teach blue belts, purple belts, and then be able to watch them um, positional spar or even roll because <laughs> the mistakes are very prevalent to it. Like, you can just see it. And so what that really does is makes me have to self-reflect back to what I do and then correct the situations with what I'm seeing. So, yeah. Um, yeah, going through the whole jiu-jitsu journey, uh, I very much love competition, very competitive um, in the art of competing for the most part. So... I competed a fair amount of times through my probably whole jiu-jitsu career. Uh, nothing crazy. I still had to manage a wife and kids and time <laughs> and training and finances. But um, for the most part, I got to compete a, a lot. And I did well. Mm-hmm. So, you, so were you always competitive? Actually, oh, sorry, Ken. Um, uh, I was going to say, so you're actually from or lived in Sandpoint at one point in time? Yeah, I lived in Sandpoint uh, in Hope, Idaho as well for about uh, seven, eight years. Okay. I used to uh, work with John down there at uh, Trinity City Beach. Perfect. Yeah. So I was curious because I know John was in the military at some point, so I didn't know if you guys were connected up in a different at fashion of life. So that's uh Put it together a little bit better for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going into the teaching thing, uh, there's some life lessons that you always end up learning. And one of the life lessons of understanding something or teaching somebody is uh, everybody understands a correlation and you have to take a known subject or a known fact and somehow try to correlate it with an unknown fact through symbolisms. Mm. So one of the biggest things that I really enjoy doing is trying to actually get to know my students, my friends, um, background information about them to try to problem solve what would be the best analogy or vernacular or symbolism to use to help the students or people understand what I'm trying to get across better. Because I can't look at you know, jiu-jitsu or life or anything and teaching in a way that you don't understand. Even though it's, I mean, jiu-jitsu is not a hard subject. It's just trying to communicate it through the proper analogies so that way I can create the best environment to help you or somebody understand it effortless. Mm-hmm. So that is probably one of the funnest challenges that I have because there's so many different people, middle-aged people, people that have kids, people that don't have kids, 
you know, people that are not athletic at all, and you have to try to figure out what plausible life experiences these people have maybe had to try mm-hmm. to help tie together what you're you're trying to teach them. So for like a student who's at a, a gym and they they hear that and they're like, oh, that that would be a great way for me for me to learn. Um, however, their teacher doesn't do it. Um, is there, do you have a recommendation for someone to just apply that to themselves? Yeah. You know, ask, ask specific questions that would maybe have the, the teacher kind of cock their head to the side to see the symbolism for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the move is if somebody's showing you something, a technique or this, if you're not seeing it, you have to somehow try to correlate it with something that you already know. That's mm-hmm. why what you were saying earlier about, you know, having a basic sweep and that position maybe correlates to multiple other ones. Once mm-hmm. you understand that basic body position, it's easier to chain, you know, one, two, three, four, five different moves that maybe be, maybe are going to be completely different, um, through that one level of understanding. So, um, asking questions would definitely be great mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. trying to understand what what analogy they could symbolize it to. Mm-hmm. And it seems when you're more involved like that, right, instead of just sitting off on the sidelines at your gym, kind of casually being there, or um, it, you, your coach will take to you more, and and then they have a better understanding, like you were saying before, of exactly who you are and where you're coming from so that they can adapt the lessons to you. No, you're fine. Lost you there for just a quick minute. How you all good, man? Ask that question over again. Yeah, I was just saying it's, uh, and I think that's something to be said for that for people who, uh, kind of like to skirt tail communities and stuff for fear of like participating. If you reach out and be very, you know, active in your gym by asking questions, speaking up, making friends and really putting in that social effort, people then start to understand exactly where you're coming from. And just by nature, it seems I've seen coaches where they'll tail, tailor lessons to, you know, those specific students. But then I've also seen other ones where like you barely hear the student, you know, make a peek and they've been there for six months and it's like they go, uh, underserved sometimes, not intentionally, but it's just because they don't make themselves known. Oh, definitely. Um, I'm a big advocate of cross-training and trying to train with as many people as possible. And being in our small town and community of Sandpoint, um, that's built, you know, something that I really enjoy is getting to train with multiple different people of all sorts. So being in the location you're at, whether it's a bigger city and you might have, you know, more students in your one gym than I even have in my town, you know, mm-hmm. um, what I would definitely say is really the more consistent you show up, the more important your 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 questions will be answered. So. If you show up once every month and you have nothing but questions to ask, you're only going to get so much kind of attention and respect. It's going to be like, yeah, here's my best answer. Show up to class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so you know it kind of goes hand in hand where like you know you you need to put in the work and show up and then genuinely have the drive to want to learn more you know we may start our jujitsu journey at some point in time but very much you know they they say that you get to express yourself on the mat through mm-hmm. through the art of jiu-jitsu and that is very very true um my skill sets are very very good my natural personality is great for jiu-jitsu because i'm patient <laughs> i have a good memory, <laughs> and everything that i did in my work career was set out of being able to be calm and problem solve things and basically I'm a professional problem solver so you know the 25 years that I went through life I don't feel like I had to start at ground zero I knew myself and I was able to apply all the life experiences that I had prior and then learn jiu-jitsu and apply that uh, which is great so taking you know boogeyman's um his life experiences, he's also took a long time to develop his, you know, mind to body emotion, understanding connections to the ground and to frameworks and being able to balance himself and, you know, having other natural talents. When you finally learn how and applying the techniques of jujitsu, it leads to great things. There's other people that um, you know, you get to see that personality shine through on the mats. People that are angry and they roll just very aggressive with no thing. You know, jujitsu mm-hmm. can have a point to calm them down. There's some people that are so extremely passive that their goal or your goal for them is to become more aggressive. So mm-hmm. there's a, a thing of trying to find a happy medium with jujitsu to express yourself and somehow grow in another another way. So. Mm-hmm. I really relate to that because, I mean, in the experience of jiu-jitsu, mind you, in other uh, sports and creative endeavors, I've kind of experienced a very similar thing, but it really helps in competition, um, is that I've realized that my passivity, right, um, it there's caveats to it that I need to adjust for um, in order to uh, live what I would consider just personally for a quality of life. Like, I realize that my passivity doesn't always help me, right? Sometimes it does, and I have great relationships, but I get walked all over. And then, so you come into competition, right? And my passivity, it can help me at times, but then I get walked all over in competition. And so it's like, instead of it just being a jujitsu thing, now I have to look at myself, my character, and figure out how to best situate myself to excel in the competition. And that's an interesting thing, because I, I don't think on your own, like, you can have someone like your parents, right, or family or friends, and they're like, Man, the way that you act isn't really positive. Like, I mean, I don't see many people uh, change based off of that. I see more change when it's like a rise to the occasion. Definitely. You know, that's a a very similar kind of world that I get to live in as far as that, that kind of passive, uh, being passive and more or less calm, more so mm-hmm. than passive, we'll say. Um, <laughs> ended up giving me the the nickname the secret um, mm. <laughs> because I'm so calm and quiet. You know, I, I I'm not the most outspoken person 
when it comes to talking or being in situations that I really just don't have any passion in. <laughs> you know, you start talking about jujitsu and I might not shut up. But, you know, if I'm going to a party or I'm going to some sort of social gathering, I'm okay to not be the outgoing person that just has to ramble off. I don't have to just talk. And so in when it comes to time to do jujitsu and step on the mat, my expression and my actual true internal, um, we'll say aggressive behavior gets to shine through the art of jiu-jitsu, but on all other levels of life, I'm super calm and relaxed and I'm not pushy at all. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, getting the opportunity to be a young teenager and being calm and passive and all that, obviously trying to find a, a, a spouse that was maybe a, a fireball, a fire yeah. you know, you you found the attraction of somebody that was more outgoing. And so mm -hmm. uh, my wife and myself or personalities blend where I become more outgoing and she becomes less outgoing. And we both <laughs> have that positive, negative, um, you know, we'll say alteration of the, the gauge from hot to cold. And we kind of, you know, work well together. And I think that is kind of what you're saying is jiu-jitsu not only gets to help alter the gauge of your personal life, um, whether it's with work or anything, it gets to kind of set that gauge to hopefully something that's more appropriate in what you need to work on in your own life. Mm -hmm. When you were in school, you were uh, you mentioned that you kind of just, met the bare minimum, you know, you just skated by. Is that correct? <laughs> well, we'll say I, I didn't skate by. I got great grades. I just didn't – I didn't actually have to apply myself to succeed. I'm right there with you because I was the same and I used to wrestle like uh, – but also, though, for me, it extends a little more because when I was uh, – when I worked, I would also not want to do that too. But um, <laughs> And I, yeah. I thought that I was lazy for a long time. And then I started, you know – picking up like extra interests, right? And those interests, like I was absurdly passionate and obsessive about. Um, with you, did you seek challenges in your youth or was it just a path of least resistance for you most of the time? Mm, that's a tough question. Um, you know, I probably had my own challenges. I started... I went to homeschool, um, went into homeschool in the middle of my freshman year of high school, and then I chose to kind of primarily work the maximum amount of time I could actually work full-time, which was like 32 and a half hours a week at that point in time. Um, that way they didn't claim it as like slave labor or something. Or something <laughs> labor. But, so when I was like 14 and a half, I basically started working 30 hours a week outside of the home while also um, propelling in, you know, homeschool, social studies of sorts. So um, I started working out, you know, at a ranch, a farm, you know, whether it was shoveling horse stalls and pruning orchards and cattle rustling and 
painting homes and whatever, by the time I was able to get my driver's license, then I basically was able to actually work um, with an excavation company, doing an asphalt, you know, underground utility work. You know, just mm-hmm. I basically worked full-time as much as I could, 32 hours a week as a since I was 14, and then also doing school. Um, so the amount of energy that I needed to put in to just get by, and when I say get by, I graduated six months early. I entertained mm-hmm. going to community college at 16 to try to learn, you know, other things, but not having a driver's license and hopping on a bus and going an hour didn't work out because I was also trying to work full time. So, yeah. um, you know, it it really just goes down to, I think, that when you're young, man, you you have to find something that does spark your interest. And I didn't really mm-hmm. find anything that really just sparked my interest. Um, I was kind of a solo. Um, I did small amounts of things in large quantities. So <laughs> ride BMX bikes or, you know, do Ooh. that like crazy. Um, and then you transition to get in a car and then you're like, okay, now my energy goes into vehicles. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, my energy went into my family and work. And so basically, um, you dabble into all these little different hobbies through life, or at least that's my experience. And I kind of, to a degree, don't consider myself an extremist. I just have an extremely high work ethic um, that mm-hmm. is kind of almost odd for most people. Working 12, 14, 16 hours a day is kind of just what is normal in my world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of my feeler gauge of average, not physically going to work for 14 hours a day, but I'm going to be putting in effort and work. And so for me, um, that is kind of what I do now. You know, I go to work, do my normal job, and then I put in about four hours, if not more, at the gym every day. And then I still have to somehow squeeze in my family life. you know, I, I kind of came to a conclusion that, you know, you start looking at your own internal life and your personality traits and where you've gone in life and then try to tie a correlation between those things. Mm-hmm. Um, man. <laughs> yeah. For a few weeks to get down on that course. But, um, yeah. yeah, no. I, I don't really feel like I overapplied myself in anything that was a, we'll say, childish era. Um, mm-hmm. I was too busy trying to be an adult, I guess. That's uh, working. That's kind of how I was. Is I started working when I was like 13, and then I just had a penchant for um, what, for the respect or consideration uh, of an adult, but at a very young age, and I don't know why I was really obsessed with that. I was like a stepdad when I was uh, 13 and I moved in with this girl and yeah. And I was, I was working in restaurants ever since I was about 12 or 13. And um, I, I would just garner whatever I could as if like, you know how you pr- approach jujitsu or anything that you 
you know, want to be good at, right? And that you, that is important to you. You try to figure out how, how to do that well for, for your own sake and, uh, whatever quality looks like to you as well. Cause that's pretty subjective in some circumstance, but that's how I did it with, um, trying to garner the respect of adults. It was as if it was a sport because I didn't really have any outlet. So I'd like, I'd work and then I would try to establish a family. And then, um, I just realized that what I was pursuing might have been misguided a little bit. Um, not in the family thing. Family is very, very important to me. But uh, I guess it's not at that time. You know what I mean? Like if I would have had jujitsu or something like that, it, it would have been a different ball game. Um, but in saying that, though, so what is your approach with your kids? Um, you know, like, do, have you considered uh, as they're growing up um, techniques or uh, strategies to introduce them to to find what they might like? Yeah, um, you know, right now, you know, it's kind of a funny struggle to go into our communication of life um, mm-hmm. for the last eight years nine years you know I've been quite active in fitness health jiu-jitsu and just trying to constantly learn how to better myself and so for the last three or four years both my life and myself have been kind of like taking the role of um, lead by example you know go to the gym work out, consume good foods, don't consume bad foods, read, <laughs> you know, <laughs> time. you know, and I understand because like you're almost saying taking the path of least resistance as a child or a teenager or an adult, however it is, <laughs> with seeing how well kids learn without needing very much uh, exposure Mm-hmm. I know how smart and adaptive kids are, and like I give my hats off to my kids. <laughs> they are extremely <laughs> smart, um, and they're very academically smart in things that I never had a desire for. Reading, <laughs> um, they just are insanely amazing at academic stuff. And so, about a month ago. Uh, you know, it's almost the end of summertime, and, you know, the last two or three years, you know, me and the wife are working out six days a week, laying down the foundation of good work ethics, good work ethics towards your body, to your fitness, to your soul, everything. And we're just like, man, when are they going to realize <laughs> to just jump on board? They're still children, and they still have to be taught and led and, you know, path of least resistance so about a month ago i was like all right done i can't take it anymore i'm like you guys now it was just like a clean slate i'm like you guys are now working out six days a week that's what mm-hmm. you can do you're gonna do three sets of 10 push-ups three sets of 10 squats three sets of sit-ups and you're gonna walk a mile every day before you even get to think about touching the cell phone or tv or tablet or nothing like mm-hmm. if you even want to enjoy any of the comforts that you get, this is what normal life is going to be taught for you from now on. Mm-hmm. Boom. <laughs> kind of like yeah. <laughs> leading by example is great, but you still mm-hmm. have to demand certain things that are of value. Mm-hmm. And you know, going through different life lessons, um, I almost wish that you didn't go to high school as a teenager. 
and mm-hmm. like, had the opportunity at 30 years old to be able to decide I need to learn everything that I could have learned in high school with the mental um, strive and energy that you have. I don't know. When I turned mm-hmm. 30, it was like I was ready to learn at that point yeah, yeah, yeah. in my life. And so that's really what I'm trying to achieve is to see all the things that I started to do in my mid-20s and my 30s and be able to correlate that to almost make the things that are unwaveringly demands, like Mm -hmm. a small amount of physical fitness every day before you get to go and do the fun stuff of Mm -hmm. the comforts of life. That is almost what I'm trying to instill on them as a demand right now. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's not easy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> and you know, there's lots of kickbacks some days, but like I don't know, my my oldest son is 12 now, my youngest is uh, nine, and you know, you give him a hug, and you, it was almost like a brush of reality where like my son's chest and shoulders like starting to grow out and become thicker, and it was just like, oh crap, like mm-hmm. you're you're filling out, you don't get to be lazy anymore. <laughs> Uh, whatever thought process is so it was kind of just like a a touch of reality in my own mind to have a a deeper sense of responsibility to not just lead by example but now lead by example for the last 10 years you know 12 years their whole life but very Mm -hmm. much so in the athletic department the last five years uh, with nutrition and fitness that I've already led the example. Now I'm demanding that you follow. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that you can't go wrong with good fitness and health and nutrition. So I guess I can be an asshole in that, that <laughs> demanding out of my kids. Mm-hmm. It's overwhelming the, the amount of uh, research that comes out now for like where they've looked at 60-year-olds and their uh, bone density, right, and their, the uh, what is it, smaller chance of them falling over or ha- or being fragile, right? And there's another thing that I've noticed with uh, people who, who are athletic, and the coping skills are a lot different. Because, I mean, as much as it doesn't look crazy to do push-ups, you know, from the outside, uh, from the inside, with children and with adults, I mean, it could be hellish at times. And to be able to... Um, sacrifice the moment right right now for a future um, reward and they don't really understand that as well because they're developing so you as an adult coming in with more of those knowledge making those demands you literally are showing them firsthand what it is like to delay gratification what it's like to build goals and actual rewards and they're getting high off of it too I would argue because they get euphoria like that's exactly the point I know there was you know, studies and the coping mechanisms of most people that are addicted to something, they became um, addicted to those uh, chemical reactions, those mm-hmm. dopamines and hormones at a young age, or pre-adolescent age. So, like, most people that are alcoholics were introduced as a coping mechanism in their young teenage years, and that is something that they always strive to go back to for comfort. And so... 
communicating with human beings is a thing that I try to encourage my kids to do where it's like if you're having a bad day or you have something like go talk to your friend don't go play a video game don't go Mm -hmm. you know sneak into a liquor cabin or who knows what you know Mm -hmm. don't you know try to fill that chemical reaction with something that is a positive outlet so Mm -hmm. um, I love what you're saying about you know teaching them you know almost giving that euphoric aspect with a discipline is you know a huge huge thing so you know i i try to make sure that that's the stand before you get to do anything that is a comfort in life that by argument would give you that um coping mechanism or the euphoric feeling, you know, getting up in the morning, pouring yourself a bowl of cereal and sitting on the couch and turning on and then being stimulated by crap. Mm-hmm. Before anything like that can happen, you put in a little bit of effort. Ten mm-hmm. push ups, you know, thirty push ups, thirty sit ups, thirty squats, that's a small thing to ask. But you know, I look at it and say, How many adults do that too? <laughs> so yeah. it's it's a small uh, little little chain in the cog, but um, it's pretty cool. I can already see some differences in you know, a month, so makes me have some proud moments in there. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's that's how I feel with uh, when I take my son backpacking. I've uh, wrestled with that for a really long time because I couldn't afford childcare, so I just uh, yeah. I mean to go on like a three day backpacking trip, I throw him on my back with the child carry, but as he got older, he had to walk more and more frequently because they couldn't carry him for as long. Um, and at some points, there'd be, you know, frustration. And I'm like, well, why am I making him do this? I just feel like I'm just making him suffer. But then I talked to uh, his school duty, right? And that's all that he talks about. Like, he'll tell me while we're doing it, he's like, I'm tired, I don't want to do this. And then I talked to his school duty, he's like, yeah, that's all he ever talks about is going out on this awesome trip. And, like, yeah. his relationship to, like, discomfort, right? He doesn't avoid those things because, oh, that would suck. He takes on challenges. Like, he did his uh, first uh, jiu-jitsu tournament um, in June. And and he you can, it's evident within his character. Like, it's built his character so much. And it's very reassuring because sometimes I feel bad. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, what's right and what's not or what's going to be good for him is kind of irrelevant because, mm-hmm. you know, when you dive into the personal development of life and trying to have a deep understanding of your, you know, your past and your present, your future and everything else, um, one of the biggest life lessons that I've come to, you know, realize is that when you really and truly understand that you can only compare yourself to yourself and that's the only thing, the only gauge that really matters and the only mm-hmm. healthy one to uh, do that with is great. Um, you know, my kids, for me, they might be a pain in the butt because (laughs) I'm hard on them or I, you know, expect so much from them, but I'm so blessed to be able to say that they're amazing students. Anytime they're with grandma and grandpa, they're amazing. Anytime they're with anybody else, they're absolutely amazing. So (laughs) the struggles that I go through to ensure whatever they get to do and it's not really as fun as for me it is 
really kind of like foregoing the basic pleasures to a degree of just spending time with your kids to mm -hmm. spend time with them now to ensure that they're copious in the outside world and that they're good people. I would much rather them be a pain for me and great for everyone else than for them to be mm -hmm. good for me and be a pain to the rest of the world. So mm, Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's like the, the thing that you see reflected in almost every superhero movie, too, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that archetype, right? Yep. Um, and, uh, I do want to be respectful of your time, Tanner. Do you have any concluding thoughts? Um, you know, finishing up, kind of taking it back to jiu-jitsu, which is kind of almost getting into that you know, everything under the sun, which is probably deep-seated information. Uh, what do you dream of, and did you have childhood dreams, and kind of come full circle into doing, like, a martial art and, like, having, like, this dream of what you wanted to do with it? Um, mm. You know, I want, I want to ask you that question and in turn reflect that question right back to myself. Um, when you were younger, did you have some dreams and are you chasing them? When I was, mm -hmm, go ahead. And how does jujitsu reflect in what form of a dream or goal that you have now? When I was younger, I, I wrestled with, uh, happiness a lot. I was using chemicals and, um, relationships, uh, to an extreme degree to fulfill myself. Um, and when I came into jujitsu, among other disciplines, I realized that fulfillment was what's inside me and that I sought challenges, not comfort. And it's been through that jujitsu that, um, it's strange because I just started doing jujitsu to, uh, to just, you know, learn something. And then over time, it's given my life meaning and not just strictly for jujitsu, but for everything. For the kind of father that I want to be, the friend, the communities that I want to develop. It's influenced even my writing. It's like, uh, jujitsu, my goal with it is to be another element in which I can explore who I am because I'm very much lost. Um, but every day it kind of gets a little bit more clear. Yeah. Those are uh, deep words. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I can only almost assume that that's almost how it is for an extremely uh, a large amount of people that are doing jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. um, for myself, it's kind of, a, you know, goal setting. And, like, if you think about, like, oh, I want to be a fireman or I want to be an astronaut or, you know, any of that stuff. None of that was ever really prevalent in my young childhood. Um, the values that were instilled into me was, you know, obviously eventually you're going to be a husband and a father and you're going mm -hmm. to have to, you know, support your family. Like that was almost in a silly way the only real, we'll say, goal or dream that there ever was instilled into me, um, or at least that's 
that's kind of the only correlation that I can you know, do with that. And so hmm. when I theoretically will say had accomplished that as a goal, became a husband, became a father, became a supporter, and you are doing that, you know, when you have other humans that are involved in that life, you come to that blank wall or that mirror of reflection to realize that, like you say, life is a constant um, growth building stimulant. And so that's almost how I got involved in jiu-jitsu was like, you're like, wow, <laughs> you know, my goal <laughs> in life is accomplished in theory, but yet I'm not quite fulfilled in life. Mm. So, um, stepping into something that then became a ability to be, uh, you know, you spend 10 years being a selfless person trying to, you know, be a father, a husband, um, you know, a supporter and be responsible and everything else. And you wake up to the realization that you still have more desires, but you don't know what they are. Um, <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu really was kind of just a stepping stone of a coping mechanism, whether, you know, just like substance coping or um, any coping, you know, riding dirt bikes or going swimming or boating, you know. I kind of looked at a lot of different hobbies to try to find something that matched up with me. Um, and everything kind of revolved around time and money. And finding other people that also wanted to share in that time frame with minimal effort. So it's like they spent all day long driving around seeing guys with dirt bikes in the back of your truck, but trying to schedule a time frame to go enjoy that hobby was a pain in the ass. So mm -hmm. um, being musical, you know, I played guitar, piano, you know, I did music stuff for a long period of time in my life. And trying to get, you know, two friends together to be able to jam a little bit was also very hard and time-consuming. So the biggest thing that I really appreciated out of jiu-jitsu was I pay one membership, and I can show up any of these days, and there's always going to be somebody else there that wants to do jiu-jitsu also. Um, that was, a, you know, scheduling, you know, kind of masterpiece in my world. Uh, so taking it to where I am now, I mm -hmm. got my black belt in jiu-jitsu just this last February. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. You know, <laughs> still, you know, I laugh because you take it back into jiu-jitsu and you kind of ask the question, like, I can tell you very vividly what I expect a white belt is and strive to be, a blue belt is and strive to be, a purple belt is and strive to be. And I'm like, man, I'm only just now, like, maybe I can tell you what I think I would expect of a brown belt and then also a black belt. It's like, so just like life, you know, I'm still just trudging through the jiu-jitsu journey and just enjoying every bit of it. But mm -hmm. gone through and put so much time and energy and effort and skill sets to it to have achieved the rank of black belt and the professor status to actually now truly be in a position to be able to share jujitsu as a professor back to other people is um, 
very fun. So you're going mm-hmm. through, I got my black belt relatively, we'll say quick in time, time frame aspects. It was about seven and a half years of, you know, six days a week training. Oh, wow. But, um, you know, there's a long period of time in there that was, you know, literally, it felt <laughs> like 10 hours a day, six days a week, it was just absolutely engulfed with jujitsu. So, <laughs> going back to my original question is, is when I started jujitsu, I never had a dream of being, you know, UFC fighter or MMA fighter or UFC champion or jujitsu this champion and whatever but you know you go eight years you get a doctorate in jiu-jitsu and then you're like well i'm actually pretty darn good i'm only <laughs> just now starting to have a dream starting to appear which is kind of an interesting <laughs> thing i use something as a coping mechanism for my own personal health an activity I got engulfed in it to a point where I became a professional at it. And so now, you know, even at a brown belt level, I never gave two craps to be the best brown belt in the world. I never cared to be the best purple belt in the world. I just wanted to do jiu-jitsu. And I was also trying to figure out the best way to do it that was the most cost-effective because I was still <laughs> working full-time and supporting my family and everything else. So <laughs> now that I am a black belt, I'm getting the point where um, I'm actually going for the world championship aspect <laughs> of it. So <laughs> it's interesting to see that um, going through action and creating motion can stimulate a dream. You don't necessarily also have to have a dream to stimulate the motion that wow. you need to go after. And so, see, that's the thing because I would have I would have never considered that. That's the thing that I always feared was like you know you get a blue belt and then you walk away. And I'm like, well, you just you must have to be focused and have this you know big goal. And then I meet, I met like talking with you, and then I talked with Cindy Hale. She's like part of the Dirty Dozen uh, for the women. One of the first. Uh, 12 women to get uh, her black belt outside of Brazil. Um, and she, she's the same way. Like that, it had nothing, she didn't have like these, you know, audacious goals or anything like that. Just obsessive. Obsessive or, in your case, really high work ethic, right? Yeah. Obsessive with the, the my personality supports a high work ethic. And mm-hmm. I just got pointed in that direction, and I never shut it off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and in that direction, though, it helps you. Like, it's a positive thing, whereas opposed to obsession with, like, alcohol, right, or uh, too yeah. much weed, like an obsession with food. I mean, I don't think that would help you too much. Yeah. So that that's kind of a, an odd odd crack at it you know i I get people Mm -hmm. ask me all the time like are you gonna go back into mma now you know it's like uh, it's like i really don't have any desire to go into mma i could do it and i could enjoy it but it i'm still also a father and i'm still also a husband and a supporter and so right now um you know at brown belt i'm 33 I competed at 
the Master 1 division, you know, so the Masters division. But as soon as I got my black belt, I was just like, I'm here and I do jiu-jitsu because I like it. And I'm competing because it's a, it's a platform for me to be able to show my skill sets that I've worked hard for um, and correlating that difference between not comparing yourself to others. Um, basically, you know, when you go to a competition, you go in and compete and you perform. Unfortunately, in competition, the reason why we sign up is we're not necessarily competing against that person we just need an opponent to be able to show our skill sets and it is a competition method but um one of the best things that i try to do you know it's like you put miles on the treadmill or you're working out or whatever and you kind of just go out of your mind and you kind of think you know i'll focus on competitions and the biggest thing that i try to look at to give myself confidence for going into another competition is am I better now? Have I put in the effort and the energy and the work to be better than the last competition that I did? And if the answer is yes, you go out there and you perform at whatever level you can perform at, at whatever challenge you need to perform. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Um, but really and truly, you you're not comparing yourself against the guy you just competed against you're comparing yourself against the last time you competed and Mm. you want to be the best in the world and that's almost what's starting to happen in the full (laughs) circle of the the world for me is you just Mm -hmm. started training jiu-jitsu for an outlet eight years goes by you realize you're pretty good and then you you start to have a dream so that's kind of where i'm going (laughs) <laughs> trying to pursue the best version of yourself. Pursue the best version of myself at the highest level of competition that there is. <laughs> I like that, Tanner. And it's been a pleasure talking with you, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no. You know, I was, uh, I won't, won't lie, time frames were rolling around, and I was like, man, you know, <laughs> I don't, don't want to blow this off because I really do um, appreciate the opportunity to get to meet somebody else that's passionate. You know, I'd love to continue talking with you more times or whether or not it's not on a podcast, but um, being able to meet new people and share a passion and I really enjoyed listening to some of your podcasts that you had and getting to talk to you and go through a conversation. I really the phenomenon that I almost say is what the meaning of your podcast is, is becoming human. is mm-hmm. amazing. And I kind of felt like we were walking through that concept just with our conversation. Didn't know how it was going to happen, but it somehow did. So. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the fun thing. Thank you. It's just, it all like when I was a kid, I, I always been really angsty and that's like flipped into all of my conversations. So it's just like, this is merely an excuse to, you know, be able to have conversations with, with people uh, I admire or at the least people who make me curious, you know, and it's yeah. people like yourself that that's really helped me in my hardest of times. It's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm filled with my flaws and I get confused a lot and like, you know, who I am and what I want to do. And then also in relation to my son, like you're saying with um, being, you know, you have these selfish things, right? These things you do for yourself. And 
it's always that push and pull. Like, am I being there enough for my son? And am I being there enough for me? And like, but seeing examples like you and, you know, being able to talk to you, man, it makes life a little more clear, not even to compare it with someone, but just to walk through it as if it were my own experience and then see what I feel. It's awesome. Yeah. Give a, a, mm-hmm. another, another an- analogy or symbolism or point of view to be able to try to, you know, get a little bit further closer to the best version that you can be. So, uh, no, I mean, I have the same, didn't know you, you know, just a few weeks ago and got in contact and, uh, you know, I feel like to a degree just with our conversation today that I'm a, a little bit better of a person and have a little bit more desire to be a better father and everything else under the sun. So, Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Tanner, it was a very interesting man, and I was able to relate with him given being a, a dad and also a jiu-jitsu competitor. It's a tough balance to find, and at first I felt guilt. However, I realized that I am a role model, and my actions show my son how he could lead his life. And the more things that I do, the more I impress upon him that he can take life and take its potential to the fullest. That instead of just waiting around for something to happen, you can go out there and figure it out. You can pursue the things that you enjoy. And it's people like Tanner that get me fired up. That's why I love watching his Instagram feed. You can go check him out on uh, Instagram, and I'll leave his social link in the show notes. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you happen to listen to it, and share it with a friend. If you'd like to support the show, you can go and pick up a flat bill on the website, becominghumanpodcast.com, and I'm just having fun interviewing these jiu-jitsu people. And we got some more guests in jiu-jitsu to come, and some strength and conditioning fellas. I'm just getting excited, figuring out the things that I like and people's backgrounds and defining what is excellence and what is the pursuit of mastery, what stops us from being mediocre and how to live a quality life. (laughs) It's been fun and I appreciate all you guys listening. Well, until next time.